Revelation chapter 1 and 22. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The word of the Lord. Father, help us in our time of need. Bring your word to our hearts. Let your word change us this week. Let your spirit breathe through Andrew to bring us the help that we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I miss God. Those are the words of Douglas Copeland. Copeland is a uh, Canadian uh, writer, author. Uh, he's the one sort of co coined the term Generation X uh, back in, I think, 1984, Tales of an Accelerated Society. He's an atheist, um, and he wrote a, an anthology of, of short stories that is called Life After God. And the, the very last words of Copeland's book, this anthology, through one of his characters is, I miss God. Uh, it's, it's interesting. He, he, he says it almost lamenting the fact that, that God is, is not there for him in some way. Uh, he, he shares, I think, that sentiment with a number of other folks who uh, would claim to be atheists. Maybe the most famous of that is Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, some of you know the German philosopher famously said, God is dead. But what's interesting, if you read Nietzsche more closely, more closely than I have, I have read some of him, but a friend of mine, Steve Garber, has read him extensively. And he says, Garber says, what's interesting about Nietzsche is that he cannot leave God dead. Known as the father of contemporary atheism, his writings are surprisingly God-haunted. That God is in the grave is indisputable for Nietzsche. That he will not leave him there is also very illuminating. The spirit of the Enlightenment still casts its shadow. Nietzsche wins the day. The modern world, the post-Christian secular world uh, we proudly live in, a world without windows to transcendence, a closed uh, society, and yet... 
And yet there is this longing. Some of you are familiar with the work of Charles Taylor, uh, another Canadian philosopher, Roman Catholic. He, he talks about our secular age, the post-Christian world that we live in, and he, he describes it as being enchanted, uh, that there is still the, this haunting of God. Well, why, am I, why am I talking about this? Why, why start a, a sermon on the Alpha and the Omega uh, with this? Well, here's the reason. The reason is, is because this is the society uh, throughout the ages. There is always this battle between God and darkness. There's always this battle between, uh, between light and the forces of evil, all of these. Uh, and God is always there. And, and He wants us to know this. This is Jesus coming to the first century, uh, or yeah, the first century church and, and declaring to them, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one who is always there. You can't escape me. Uh, you can't, uh, you cannot, uh, you can deny that I am there, but you cannot escape the reality that this is the world that I created, that I am the beginning, that I am the end. And if you try to deny it, you're going to be haunted. You're going to be haunted like, uh, like Copeland. You're going to be haunted like Nietzsche. You're going to live in a world that we can declare is done with God, has moved on from that, that that was a sort of a prehistoric idea, uh, but we are still going to be enchanted by the reality of who God is. I, I share this with you because we share a lot in common with that first century church. Uh, one writer describes the church that John is writing to in Revelation, probably around the year 90 AD, uh, the uh, uh, persecution under the Roman emperor Domitian. Uh, you know, this is the, the Colosseum, all of these types of things. It says, at that moment, the people of God in the world are involved in a deadly conflict. Intense spiritual warfare is escalating. Persecution is no longer occasional and local, but it's regular and widespread. Uh, but this is not all. Uh, not only is there persecution from the world outside, but there's also all sorts of things inside the church. We know this from the letters to the seven churches um, that they are facing. There's heresy, morality, uh, issues of morality and worldliness within the gates of the church, uh, distortions of the gospel, powerful false teachers, sexual enticement, the lure of cultural acceptance, financial success, all of these things are affecting the church even before the dawn of the second century. And, and so as we, we come this morning, we, we just share so much in common with these first century believers. We recognize that we, we need to hear a word from God. We need a place to stand uh, in this world. We recognize that our hauntings, uh, you know, sort of the sentiment of Copeland, I, I, I miss God. It's because this is His world that He's created, and He's inviting us to see that in a very uh, fresh and a very real way. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He says it at the beginning of the book of Revelation, and He says it at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, chapter 22. And He wants us to see that He is the one that encapsulates 
all of the world and is all that we need. So, two things today that I, I want to highlight, just what this means about who Jesus is, what this means about who God is, and then secondly, what it means for us that Jesus is all of these things. So, to Him, to us, two points, very simple. But each of them have three sub-points because we can't keep it that simple, right? Uh, so, in, in the first section, uh, the revelation that we see here of God, and once again, you notice uh, a Trinitarian formula, grace to you and peace. This is verse 4 from He. The, the actual Greek is not Him. It's He who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness. We recognize that there is a Trinitarian formula here that we have God the Father, He who is and who was, the eternal, the I am, uh, the Spirit, the spirits that are before the throne. It's either the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit. Uh, either way, it, it's talking about the work of the Spirit in completeness. The number seven is the number of completeness, and we see that throughout this uh, book of Revelation, which is in the apocryphal genre, um, which uses a lot of number symbolism. So, there's the, the, the complete work of the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. I want to focus on Christ as He is revealed as the Alpha and the Omega. And one of the things that's interesting about this passage is that we see Jesus in all of His offices. Uh, some of you know that we, we sometimes talk about this. Our Westminster Confession Catechism talks about Jesus as uh, holding the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Uh, each of these Old Testament offices uh, pointed to an aspect of Christ's work. And we see all three of them here in this passage. In verse 5, uh, which mentioned that Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the one that has come bearing witness to the truth. In that way, He fulfills the office of prophets. Prophets were the ones who were sent to the people of God in order to, like I said, bear witness to the truth. Uh, Jesus comes bearing witness to the truth. We see Him in this vision coming with the sword coming out of His mouth, uh, the Word of God. Uh, it, it's so prevalent in the book of Revelation. In fact, uh, the book of Revelation has 404 verses total in it, 278, that's just about 70%, uh, have quotes or allusions directly from the Old Testament. It's as if uh, Jesus through John is saying to His people, like, do you want to understand life? Do you want to understand how you are to live in this world that seems to be falling apart? Go to the Word. Go to the place where I have revealed uh, the beginning, the end. Go to the, the place where I, as the source of all life, have, have given you uh, revelation of myself and how you are to live. And, and again, just this idea that from the beginning to the end, we have the story encapsulated for us. It's interesting um, you know, some of you may have had questions like, how do we know that the Bible is true? Um, 
one of the ways that, I, one of the things that I find very compelling is the inner coherence of the Bible. You know, you've got 66 books written by 30-some different authors over a period of over 2,000 years, and, and yet there's an incredible coherence to the story. And, and when you get to Revelation, between Genesis and Revelation, there, there is so much uh, that just draws together. The last couple of chapters of Revelation are, are just like images from Genesis coming fast and furious. And you can really see the Spirit at work inspiring those who, who wrote the Scriptures to give us a coherent story, and that bolsters our, our faith in this. And so as we seek answers to life's questions, like what do we do with our lives? What does work mean? Uh, what, does, uh, what is suffering? How does that fit into the world? Uh, how do we understand some of the questions that we're wrestling with, like gender, sexuality, all of these different things? We can have confidence to go to the Scriptures, and, and we can go back and we can say, okay, here at the very beginning, God created work. He put us in the garden in order to tend and keep it. Both says something about who we are and our relation to the world, says something about creation care and how we as Christians are to tend and keep the, the garden that God has given us. It says something about gender, male and female. He created them. Uh, and, and that we reflect God in our maleness and in our femaleness. And, and these, uh, these gender distinctions are to be celebrated as we live out our life. It says something about marriage. It's not good for man to be alone, so I will create woman for him. And he gave them and celebrated that first marriage in the garden. And this is a story that then perpetuates throughout the Bible. Uh, and it's interesting, when you come to Revelation, the major focus of Revelation is about a wedding. It's a wedding between the bridegroom and the bride. Uh, and, and Jesus coming to, to redeem that, and, and how all of our marriages have been pointing to, to that moment where the bridegroom would come and rescue his bride. And so here we meet Jesus the prophet, the one who is the faithful witness, who says, I am the beginning and the end. I am the source. Uh, and you can trust me. You can have confidence in me. And that confidence then is further bolstered. Not only does Jesus fulfill the prophetic office, but he also fulfills the priestly office. And I, I love the end of verse 5 here. It's sort of uh, like the third phrase in it where it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Uh, so here is man's, humanity's central problem. The central problem is that through our ancestors, through Adam and Eve, we've rebelled against God. From the very beginning, God said, do it this way, and we said, forget it, God, we're going to do it our own way. We're going to take and we're going to eat from this fruit that is forbidden, and we are going to be on the throne of our own lives. We are not going to allow you to be on the throne of our lives. And in that eating, we found ourselves in bondage. There's so many places in Scripture that talk about the enslavement that we have to sin. But here, as the priest, Jesus is both the one who brings a sacrifice and is himself the sacrifice. Part of the, the Johannian corpus, you know, John writing in the gospel as well as in his epistles and then also in, the, uh, in this book of Revelation, is his emphasis on Jesus as the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the great high priest who offers himself as the sacrifice in order to uh, eradicate, eliminate the, 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 the breakdown, the gulf that exists between God and humanity and to make a way. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. I, I'm really drawn by, by that that concept of, of being free. You know, we, we talk about uh, freedom a lot in society. What does this mean? Uh, all of these different things. But from a biblical perspective here, Jesus says this is what it means to be really free. That you are, are freed from all that would mar you. And, and incidentally, you know, sin is not just the stuff that we do, but it's the stuff that clings to us. There's both the guilt and the pollution uh, of sin. And Jesus says, I'm going to set you free from that. I'm going to give you true freedom. And I love, you know, as these people are making uh, a profession of their faith, that's what they're saying. That's what we found. We've found a freedom through the work of our great high priest who is both the, uh, the priest and the sacrifice. And then finally, we see that Jesus holds the office of king. Again, verse 5, uh, the ruler of the kings of the earth, it goes on, he's made us a kingdom. Verse 6, uh, glory to him. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And then that uh, verse 22, or chapter 22 that David read, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Kings uh, both deliver us, they defeat all his and our enemies, uh, and they administer justice. Again, another one of those terms that we hear a lot in our world today. But Jesus says, I am the truly just one. As the king, he is the one who uh, executes perfect justice. And, and we see hints of that. Like that, it's what he's coming back again. And, and those who haven't bowed the knee to him, those who will not acknowledge his kingship or his lordship, they, they will wail on account of him, those who have pierced him. Uh, but he will also repay with righteousness, those who have uh, received the, the gifts that the Lord Jesus brings into our life. So as, as we wrestle with this, you know, again, we, we hear those words of Copeland, I, I miss God, uh, but, but who are you missing? You know, are you missing sort of the, the fallacies that we see in the church today? Are, are you missing the weakness of Christians? Or are you missing God as he has truly revealed to us in the Bible? As God is revealed to us in the Scriptures, we see one who is true, who is just, uh, and who has loved us and freed us from our sins. And this is the one that John is holding up to you and say, don't, don't, base your, don't base your idea of God based on what you may experience in the church because you're always going to dis be disappointed by people. 
but base your acceptance or rejection of God on what you see in the Scriptures, what you, who He reveals Himself to be, and there you will find one who is worth following. One writer puts it this way, we put on so many different lenses that we use to filter our experience in the world. We put on the lens of joys, of hurts, of skewed perspectives, relationships, life circumstances, general humanity, etc. Perhaps these lenses, though, have become clouded because we walk through a challenging life season out of our control, or maybe the lenses got dirty from our own sinful choices, or maybe we took our kingdom lenses off entirely because we are disappointed or hurt by other believers. Sometimes we complicate our faith, and we need to return to the simplicity of a more childlike perspective. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Uh, come to me to find truth, to find freedom, uh, and, and to find the righteousness that you long for. Secondly, what I want to highlight for you is, is just the benefit that we receive from this. And I think we can do this in three Ps. There's peace, uh, there's purpose, and there is the reality that we are precious in His sight. First of all, peace. He says, grace to you and peace from He who is and who was and who is to come. So interesting. This is kind of a normal uh, epistolary format. It's a way to open letters in the first century. We see it in Paul. Paul often says grace and peace to you from God our Father, the different things like that. Uh, but that doesn't mean just because it's an ordinary way to open letters that it's not Holy Spirit inspired and that it's not pregnant and filled with all sorts of meaning. So when, when John is writing this to the seven churches, as I highlighted for you earlier, he's writing to churches that are messed up. Uh, he is writing to churches that are struggling to hold on. He's writing to churches that are tired. He's writing to churches that have been through 2020, uh, 2021 in their own way. They've got the heretic Jezebel within their gates. They're having to deal with the false teachers of the Nicolaitans. They're having to deal with persecution, all sorts of different things. And, and what Christ promises them is grace and peace. Uh, and those are things that, that we just long for. We, we know we need it. We know we need grace. We know we need uh, undeserved favor. As I come this morning and, and we have confession as part of our liturgy, week after week, we lay it all out. Lord, here's where I messed up all this week. And it's not that we lay that out in order that we expect that God is going to forgive us over and over, week by week. He, he already has. He's forgiven our sins, past, present, and future in Christ. They are finished. Christ said, it is finished on the cross. But we go to Christ and we say, this is who I am. This is what I am struggling with in the flesh. And, and we hear Jesus speaks back to you, speak back to us, but that is not who you are in Christ. In Christ, you are redeemed, you are made new, you are righteous, you are loved, you are recipients of grace and you're recipients of 
peace. Not peace like the Romans. You know, the Romans talked about the Pax Romana, but that was a false peace. That was a peace that was built on subjugation. It was taxes. It was slavery. People were paying to be subjected to Rome. It wasn't the kind of peace that God offered. He doesn't demand slavery on the part of his subjects, but he made himself a slave in order to gain the freedom that we long for. And that's the kind of peace that God offers. And as he comes and he gives us that grace and that peace, he reminds us that we have a purpose. Again, verse 6, where he says, he's made us a kingdom, you know, speaking of his sovereignty and his authority, and he's made us to be priests He is the priest, but he's deputized us as his little priests in order to be Christ to the world, in order to bring the world into contact with Christ, in order to bring Christ into contact with the world. That that is our call. That is our invitation week in and week out. And God promises, I will be with you as you do that, whether it's in work, whether it's in home, whether it's in the grocery store, whether it's in the neighborhood. I had a reminder of this a couple of weeks ago. It was actually exactly two weeks ago. Moses and I were getting home from church and getting out of the truck. It was a nice day, and our neighbors across the street were there, and uh, just curious about church, asking us some questions, uh, you know, t- services, mass, all that kind of stuff. So we were talking about uh, some different thing. And uh, then they talking about Morgan, her cancer. We've become good friends with them and just really uh, love them as people and uh, continue to want to testify to my faith, you know. And so as we were talking about cancer and 27 years old and all these different things, trying to steer the conversation to uh, the, the realities of, of trusting Christ in the midst of that. And right at that moment, our, our brother Craig Kuinga, who if you're visiting with us, you don't know Craig, but member of the congregation and he's had his own cancer battles uh, over the past year, but God has just been so good to him. And he comes biking up the street and stops and talks to us. And I introduce him to our neighbors and he shares a bit of his testimony. And I thought, God, how gracious you are in your sovereignty, in your kingship, you know, as I'm seeking to be a priest uh, to my neighbors, that you would give us just exactly what we needed at just exactly the right time. And God is that way. And so as we seek to carry out uh, this call, this purpose of being priests in our communities, we can do it with the confidence that God knows what we need and he will give it to us just at the right time because he is a good and he is a gracious, sovereign king. I hope that, I trust that many of you have your own stories of that, and I hope that one of the things that God does in, in, in your life even this week is opens your eyes to the way that he is exercising that kingship in your life. Because if you look for it, you will see it. Uh, If you really ask God to show it to you, you will be able to see it. Why is this? 
My favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in all the Scriptures, and I know that that's dangerous to say because 404 verses in Revelation, there's a lot more than that in the whole Scriptures, so how do you pick one, right? But to Him who loves us, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. How do we know that we can trust God? Because God is not a tyrant. God is not a despotic ruler. God is a a relational being who loves his creation and his creatures. God is the one who has entered our world as a little baby in order to become sin and go go to a cross in place of us. This is how we know that we can trust God. It's because it's a relationship. I I love what, uh, you know, God says to the people of Israel in Isaiah 43. He says, because you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, you can have confidence in me as you walk through the fires, as you go through the deep waters of life, because I love you. I don't know what your concept of a, what a relationship with God is. Maybe some of you think through the lens of religion, do more, try harder. Uh, maybe some of you think through the lens of morality, get it right, uh, and, and then you will be accepted. But God comes to us through a, a relationship of love, and this is what draws us closer into his heart. Augustine picked up on this in his homilies on the Gospels of John. Remember, this is one of the Johannian themes. Who who did John identify himself as? John identified himself as the beloved disciple. He wasn't saying anything about his status within the disciples. What he was saying is, this is how I am known. I am known as the one who is beloved by my Savior. And he comes back to that theme here in Revelation where he says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The mind is drawn by love, Augustine says. Give me a lover and he will know what I am saying. Give me one who yearns. Give me one who hungers. Uh, Give me one like this. If you have known love for another person, for an animal, uh, for chocolate, uh, you, you know that yearning, you know that feeling. God's revelation, Augustine goes on to say, is not like a message in a bottle, like bits of information sent across the abyss to be received by our minds, our intellect. Rather, God's revelation is himself come into the world It's a magnet for our desire. This revelation is what draws. If you show a green branch to a sheep, uh, you will draw the sheep. If you show nuts to a boy, he is drawn. He is drawn by what he runs to. By loving, he is drawn. Without injury to the body, he is drawn. By a chain of the heart, Augustine says, he is drawn. Did you catch that? I I love that image. 
God didn't come to us as a message in a bottle to be received by our minds, but he gave his only begotten son who became incarnate. He draws, him, draws us to himself by offering us the very things that we desire. You know, justice, freedom, these are all the words that our culture is talking about right now. Where do we find it? We find it in Jesus. Grace, peace, love, forgiveness. Jesus doesn't compel our subservience, but rather he draws it by becoming a servant himself and going to death on a cross. Jesus doesn't uh, demand that we be holy, but instead he becomes sinful in order that he can impute holiness to us, and we have the righteousness of God. I miss God, Copeland said. My guess is that he's never known this God. He's never known the God who reveals himself here. And Nietzsche was haunted by God. Why? Because he didn't come to know God in this way. If you find yourself here this morning with these longings, celebrate them, follow them, follow the path that will lead you to Jesus Christ. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this word and, and what it reveals to us. We pray now as we get ready to come to your table uh, that you would meet us and that you would seal to us through the sacrament uh, both the, the reality of your work on the cross and the love that you have for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a child in the nursery at this time, would be a great time to pick him or her up to join us for the remainder of the service. We'll be led in this meditation, a prayer. Let us break bread together on our knees, asking the Lord to meet us uh, in mercy at his table. to the rock.
As we have seen this morning, the Lord indeed has granted us peace and promised us mercy because He has freed us from our sins by His blood. If you are a member of a Bible-believing church and you have had an opportunity to make that profession of faith, and you are invited to come to this table and to proclaim that faith and to uh, rest in the fact that your righteousness is not your own, uh, but it has been brought with the blood of Jesus and has been given to you, and you now stand uh, completely spotless, free before the judgment seat of God because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Uh, Addison and Jerry are, are here in the back. If you need any of the communion elements, just raise your hand and they will come to your area. Uh, a few over here on this side. All right. So, raise your hand. We'd love to have you uh, join us if you are, as I said, a member of a Bible-believing church and have made that profession of faith. If you're not, uh, I, I, my prayer this morning is that the, the lament of Copeland, you know, when he says, I miss God, uh, would, would echo in your soul. Uh, and it wouldn't be just for the institutional church, but it would actually be for God as He's revealed to us in the Scriptures, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has laid down His life in order that we might be freed from our sins. And if you find yourself in a place where you haven't surrendered your life to Him, the invitation is for that. You can't do it by just going through a ritual. That, that's not going to save you. Uh, but what is needed is an absolute surrender before the Lord Jesus Christ, a prayer that cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, a sinner, and that is a prayer that our Lord delights, delights in hearing. So I invite you to take your elements. Uh, let me pray as we set aside them for the set them aside for the Lord's work in our life. Lord, thank you that you have given us uh, your body, your blood, these uh, reality of that, and, and these symbols and bread and wine uh, that point us to the finished work that you have given on the cross. As we are in this Lenten season and we are, are two weeks away from Easter, uh, 12 days away from Good Friday, Lord, we remember the work that you did on the cross, and we pray that as we come this morning that there would be uh, a great connection uh, between that work and our lives, and that we would receive it by faith, and that it would help us to rise from our knees with, with confidence to go out into this world. Father, we pray for those who uh, are, are not walking with you in that relationship. Lord, we, we know that there's lots of reasons for that, and many of us have experienced what it means to be in that uh, faraway state. But Lord, we pray that your love would draw them uh, like a sheep to a green branch, uh, like a young boy to candy or nuts. Lord, we pray that uh, you would draw their hearts. Uh, thank you for this meal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And then